airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are going to wrap up uh, a little bit of our conversation yesterday. I felt like there were just um, a couple of pages that we didn't get to flip to. And uh, then in the second segment of the program, we have scheduled guest Brian Fisher, not Focal Points Brian Fisher, Human Coalition's Brian Fisher. Yes, <laughs> there's two of them. There's two of them. And maybe more. Slightly different spelling, mm. but... And there may be more. <laughs> so anyways, um, thank you so much for listening to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. We do appreciate you joining us every day um, to hear us um, provide commentary around what's happening in the culture through a biblical worldview. And we don't just say that as sort of like a catchphrase, but it's just how we live. That's mm-hmm. the question. You know, what does the Bible say? And so yesterday um, we were asking the question, what's so wrong with government handouts anyway? And um, I got I got a message from one of our listeners, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great question. And then I thought um, I thought it was a great question from one of our listeners. And I um, I wanted to respond to that question on air okay. um, just to because I, I thought just to bring clarity to to some of the things that I think might be swirling around in people's minds. So the question and I'll just paraphrase it was um, where in the Bible does it show that? work in the beginning is a good thing. Um, and our listener said, because I always believed or was taught that, um, that work was a punishment, you know, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. And I think that's a great question because I think that a lot of people have had that understanding, um, because of, I think the way we kind of are acquainted with Adam, right? So Mm -hmm. since Adam, all of us have worked and it's been toilsome, it's been laborious, like there's just hard work that that has to be done. But what you see in the scriptures, and I want to go back and just kind of double back to this, and I'm going to show you a parallel um, to what happened in the fall, um, not only with mankind, but also with the earth itself. And so, um, and the point that I'm ultimately making here is that work is a blessing that God has given us because of the fall there. If you think about working with the earth, there are thorns and thistles. If you think about working with people, there are thorns and thistles. I mean, it's (laughs) still, we still have to like work. (laughs) There's still problems. You know what I mean? So nothing is as smooth as it would have been if we would have continued on in the way God planned for us to continue on and not rebelled against him in the beginning. So in Genesis chapter two, and again, this is kind of toggling back to where we were yesterday. If you didn't get to catch the show, um, in order for this to have context, you might have to go back and and take a little listen uh, for it to have context. But I'm picking up here. Um, But in Genesis chapter two, the Bible reads this way. Genesis chapter two, verse 15 says that the Lord took the man, Mm -hmm. obviously Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. That's right. Or some translations say to work and tend it. And so you see that Adam has a job, but not only does Adam have a job that um, maybe he is doing with his hands, 
but he also has a stewardship position that is given to him. Mm -hmm. So God, when he makes Adam, he gives him the responsibility of dominion, of ruling over these other creatures that God has created. Remember, before Adam meets Eve, meaning before Eve is created from his rib, you've got these creatures that are being brought to Adam. And the Lord's like, what do you want to name them? Right. <laughs> I mean, like, what do you want to call them? And whatever the man called them. So he's working. He is doing something, reflecting the glory of God, the beauty of God's creation in himself. But in Genesis chapter 3, is where you see God's judgment on Adam's rebellion. In Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 17 through 19, the Bible reads this way. And to Adam, he said, I'm picking up here, he's already dealt with Eve. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. So now you see God describing the, the, the way Adam is going to have to work after the rebellion, mm -hmm. right? It's not that the work itself initially was a punishment. It was a blessing. Like he was given a responsibility. And, you know, in my, my holy imagination, I, I, I like to envision that Adam enjoyed what he was doing, yeah. that, that he was in peace and in communion with God. And he was fulfilling his purpose. And he was doing that in a way that was not like, oh, got to get up. OK, you know what? I'm out of names today. Zebra. That's <laughs> it. I don't care. You know, it wasn't like we have this thought. It's like, ah, Monday, ah, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not the picture that we get. We get that Adam is fulfilling his purpose. And now what the Bible describes in Genesis chapter three is that the earth is cursed. And so now what you're doing, those things that once brought you joy, right? Um, that's going to be hard work. Yeah. It's going to be laborious. It's going to be labor intensive. The things that are supposed to be working with you and for you are now going to be working against, against you. you right? right. Same thing. If you fast forward to um, Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul describes Romans chapter eight uh, verses 18 through 24, that creation exists in the same way. This is difficult for us to understand. And why? Because this is all we have known. Mm. We have only known a fallen and judged creation. Mm. Now think about, and sometimes when we, when we talk to the kids, we, we try to get their imagination stirred up. And we say, you know, think about the beautiful things that we see now. And these things have been, as the Bible describes it, subjected to futility, right? These things are now kind of groaning in anticipation for the things to be restored to what they were supposed to be. And you think that these things are beautiful. I mean, we, we look at these things and we marvel, but this again, we exist after the fall. So none of us has an idea of what it was like before the earth was cursed, right? right. Romans chapter eight, um, verses uh, 18 through 24, the Apostle Paul, again, writing by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And why do I say that all the time? Because what I am trying to make sure that we all understand is that we're not just reading man's thoughts. That's right. That we are reading the inspired the word, of word of God. Amen. And as such, it deserves our full confidence. It deserves full application. 
And we often don't give it that because we've unfortunately approached it like just a book. Oh, it's just, it's, you know, the good book. Hmm. Man, we've got to put more weight on the scriptures than that. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 18 through 24 says uh, this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I'm going to stop there for a second. I want you to think about this. This is very similar to what we saw happen with Adam's job now. (laughs) Adam's job now has been subjected to this same futility where now, man, I hate getting out there. (laughs) Now, man, look at, ah, right. I mean, where it's, it's, it's so bad that, you know, now you got to, you got to pray, Lord, show me all the uses of the peanut. Lord, show me, help me. I don't know. Help me. Show me how, give me revelation now. You understand where these things were supposed to be easy. So here is the point, and I also want to bring some clarification because sometimes I, I tend to reflect on what we've talked about, and I think that um, I try to think through all the sides of people's questions about what we're saying. I was a champion for the second stimulus, and I know that might put me on the outskirts of you know people like Will the Great and Abraham Hamilton III. I understand that. I understand that. There, we, we don't always agree on everything. I, my, my thought was, if you shut down people's businesses, if you, so to speak, lock people up in their homes, you incapacitate able-bodied men and women, and then say, well, we don't know. No, you, you need to come off some aid for those people. That was my conviction. That mm-hmm. was my conviction. My caution was, okay, but we don't want this to become a pattern. Right. Like, we're not expecting the government to now stand in the place of Big Daddy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that was my concern. So I don't want people to think that I'm like there's never a place. And and here's what I said. You know, my thought was if we give aid to people all around the world, we're coming to people's defense and we're helping people who experience sudden tragedies that they didn't bring up on themselves. Then certainly the American people can be cared for, can mm-hmm. be taken care of, I would argue, by our own resources. Mm-hmm. That's that would be my argument. What I'm saying, and I hope what was clear yesterday, is that there was always a sinister motive behind destroying or distorting God's right design for us. So the remedy to work now being hard is not that we get out of it, is that we understand, wow, this is a reminder that, man, we rebelled against God. Mm. And in God's mercy and grace, you know... (laughs) He didn't completely destroy us and cut us off. Hmm. He made a way for us to be redeemed through the Lord Jesus Christ, also known as the second Adam. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But I want to be too churchy. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. You guys ever do that? There's some things that we know to be true. But then when you verbally express those things, you are immediately reminded of that truth that has been made real in your life. Um, Sometimes that happens to me. You know, sometimes I'm just like, (laughs) wow, I was without God and without hope in this world. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the second Adam getting it right in every area where the first mm. Adam failed, mm-hmm. now 
I can be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? That means I want to live for the glory of God. I don't want a government that expands to the point that I see that government as my source. Right. I don't want to begin to recondition my thinking. And and I want to say this too, because I was thinking, you know, people say, well, you guys are always saying, don't look at it through a conservative lens. Don't look at it through a, you know, and you say the Bible, but look, you got people who are working in political arenas. They're doing this. This is very true. Mm-hmm. This is very true. And you better know your civics. You better be able to engage. You better know what your rights are. Paul knew this full well. He knew what his rights were as a Roman citizen. And you see that he played to those rights, so to speak, when the Lord led him to do that. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what his rights were. Right, right. So this is not a call for us to bury our head. In fact, right. I think that this makes us better able to engage when our fuel exactly. comes from the word of God. I'm not a conservative because I grew up in conservatism. Exactly. I don't believe what I believe about politics and political engagement because I read political science books, right. people. What I'm attempting to do in my political engagement is align that engagement with what is first and foremost in my life. And that's the word of God as a straight edge. So when we say, man, we need to compel people to work for the glory of God, we need to reject the expanse of government that would rob people of that opportunity, that would treat people essentially on. And again, I'm, I'm looking down the line. I'm not saying right now that a few chick, a few checks are going to turn people into slaves, but Look, if you've got people who for decades have known that consistent handouts mm-hmm. would serve as a narcotic to the people. Mm-hmm. It's human um, nature. It's, it is human it's sin- nature. sinful nature. It's human nature. And the thing is, you know, that's what will happen if this continues on. That, you know, if, if keep giving, 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 people are going to expect to, to, to get. And the whole point about you know, uh, conservative or, you know, wearing those labels. The thing is, you know, like you said, we can uh, do both. We can be, you know, astute about what's happening in politics Mm -hmm. and know, you know, our rights and the Constitution and all of that. But at the same time, to me, it's all about priority. What comes first? First is the biblical worldview. Because if you don't have that, all that political stuff is going to be wrong. It's not going to be through the right lens. You know? Well, and your and your I would say that your passion is going to be misdirected as far as what is greater. Right. You're your great. It's going to be out of balance. You may study the word of God and say, well, thank you for that assignment, Addison's. But mm. I still believe what I believe politically. Well, OK. But what I'm saying is, hey, study the scriptures, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> study the scriptures, know what the word of God says. Where does exactly. your conviction come from? Amen. And let it be that eternal conviction that has been afforded to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. All right, I hope that makes sense and answers some questions. Mm-hmm. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Addison's on American Family Radio. If you're afraid of one Brian Fisher, I don't know what you're going to do with two Brian Fishers who are both actively engaged in the culture. And uh, (laughs) I'm just just kidding to both of the Brians. Um, Just just a joke. Welcome back. I'm Miki. 
And I'm Will, and I think one Brian with a Y and one with an I, right? Yeah, but they both are actively, <laughs> they are liberal God-haters nightmares. Um, so they it, it doesn't matter. I yeah. mean, I feel like people are like, why or I? Why? Why? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And who was that that we came back with? Brad and Rebecca, I am found. I am found. All right. Joining us now is uh, Brian Fisher. And I came across his article on Charisma News where he was basically calling out Governor Cuomo, who has become a rock star of sorts. I mean, Mm. it's amazing the things that that are happening in pop culture with regard to um, Andrew Cuomo. And I mean, it's... It's just insane. And I, I feel like our culture is at the place now where this is just the way we respond to different situations. We create um, pop cultural icons, you know what I mean, in addition mm-hmm. to his role as, you know, well, leading the state you know, of New York. He set himself up to be that way. I mean, I think he... You think that's what he's going for? Well, I, I think so. I mean, he yeah. has his press conferences and he looks very, you know, presidential, yeah. I guess. Well, as uh, Brian Fisher points out, president of Human Coalition and Human Coalition Action, as he points out, there's a bit of an inconsistent communication coming Mm. from the great governor, Okay, uh, using that uh, term great loosely. But there's a little bit of inconsistency coming from him as he talks about valuing life. One of the things that we've said from the beginning of um, this pandemic and, and the way we were all addressing, you know, what's essential and what's not. Um, it's quite shocking to understand that there are some people who believe that murdering babies um, is still essential and Mm. even still calling that a service. Uh, And Brian Fisher wrote about that um, at the end of last month, and we invited him on uh, a while back just to be able to talk about that because I think it's these are the kinds of conversations we need to have where we point out the hypocrisy that comes from those who are in positions of leadership. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Oh, great to be on with you. Thanks so much. So let's make some observations because I think obviously you, you know, we, along with the rest of the country, we've been watching what's happening with uh, Cuomo's status and watching that he's become sort of this icon. And there seems to be, you know, heavy doses of compassion and empathy coming from him all the time. And he's saying basically it's a false choice to say we've got to choose between life and the economy. And, and, you know, there are people who are like, they just hear guitars. He's a rock star when he talks like that. But there was a great inconsistency um, in his messaging on the value of life. Let's let's talk about that. Well, I respect the governor and other politicians who are taking extraordinary measures to defend and protect human life. I think you know we might have different views on how far the quarantining should go, but we all understand at the end of the day we want to protect innocent human beings from anything that's going to harm them physically and certainly kill them. And as I was watching Governor's press conferences and reading his statements, I was just struck how often he used the phrase human life and Mm -hmm. how we have to protect human life, whatever the cost. And And I wrote the governor and I simply said, look, I agree that human life has extraordinary intrinsic value and that we should be protecting it. I don't understand why you on one hand say we should protect human life from COVID, but on another, just a year ago, signed the most reprehensive mm. pro-abortion bill in New York's history, yeah. and you lit up New York pink, celebrating mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood. So on one hand, you want to protect one category of human lives, but on another hand, you want to destroy human lives, and I urged him to bring his worldview into consistency. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that is when. So all of us listening, let me just say, all, all of us who are on, are on the pro life front of this, we think that that is just such common sense. Like that would be glaring, but for some reason, it's difficult for liberals to see this. I think there's a lot of outcry. It's not just with Governor Cuomo, but there's a lot of outcry and we're going to kill people if we do this or, you know, all life is value and we're, you know, we can't do this because this will be the outcome. Why is it that they're not able to see, and I guess maybe it wouldn't be a disconnect if they could see it, but what stops them uh, being able to see that babies are deserving of the same respect and the same fight for their life? Well, as I'm sure you guys know, everybody on the planet has a worldview, and everybody's worldview is tied to their theology. And so Mm -hmm. you are seeing the manifestation of a worldview based on a theology that does not have God. And when you do not have God who gives us our value and that we subscribe to his value, then we as humans get to devalue whomever we want. So Mm -hmm. I suspect that if we sat down with Governor Cuomo or any other pro-abortion advocate, they would say the woman's life, the mother's life, and in many cases the father's life, does have more value than the life in the womb, and we are okay killing lives that we think are less valuable to preserve the lifestyles or the uh, pleasantries of other lives. And when you approach it from that standpoint, you recognize that a culture that allows human beings to bestow dignity on other groups of human beings also allows human beings to remove that same dignity, and then you get genocide and Holocaust and, you know, frankly, mm-hmm. abortion. Hmm. You write in the article, um, abortion is the leading cause of death in the United States, uh, amounting to one out of every three deaths per day. And New York State consistently has the highest abortion rate in the country. In 2017, over 105,000 preborn children lost their lives to abortion in New York. In New York City alone, one in every three pregnancies, one in every three pregnancies is terminated by abortion. So when you write an open letter, when you when you write a letter to Governor Cuomo, what is the expectation like? What do you hope will happen? Well, I'm, I've been asked whether or not Governor Cuomo has written me back, and he has not yet, although I remain hopeful that I would get a respectful letter, and I'm, I'd like to have that dialogue with him. I think more important, if others read the letter in Charisma News or other places that's been published, yeah. that we use it as a starting point to have an intellectually honest conversation. We cannot, in good conscience, have one conversation about stopping the world's economy to protect vulnerable older folks and folks with immune suppression from COVID, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, keep open a multi-billion dollar industry who is killing human beings who are even more vulnerable and more at risk. We, We have to be able to step back and say, wait a second, we have to be consistent in how we value human beings. And it all gets down to this concept of who gets to determine who has dignity. You know, in New York City, uh, the abortion rate is so high that it ranks up there with other states. So 50% of abortions in the United States occur in four areas, Florida, Texas, California, and New York City. And so you have a bloodbath of destruction and death in New York, which instead could be, if it chose to be, a role model for how to respect, honor, and dignify all classes, ages, races, colors of human beings 
and yet it continues to drive this narrative that abortion is somehow good for women when obviously 50% of the babies who lose their lives are female. Hmm. A question for you. Um, I know we have a lot of great organizations that are standing up against abortion. You know, um, a lot of, there's always an argument about, you know, uh, uh, just doing it in phases, you know, um, or getting rid of it altogether. What do you think is the, the one thing that's really stopping abortion from being eradicated in this country, seeing that we have all these different, you know, uh, pro-life groups and, and things like that? Well, racism was spawned in America for two primary reasons. I'm sorry, abortion was spawned for two reasons. One was racism and two was um, sexuality. So we've become a culture that treasures our sexuality to the point where it has become our God, and we can't Mm -hmm. serve two gods. So the God of sex demands human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The Christian God, you know, took that sacrifice, and Christ bore that for us, but when it comes to the God of sex, there is no Savior, there's only death, and the God of sex demands humans. And so until our culture returns to one that honors, again, God as the giver of value, but also God as the giver of sexuality and of human relationships, uh, we will continue to sacrifice our own children so that we can we can get what we want. Mm. And I think it's um, it's been a fascinating progression. If you study the history of abortion in America for the last 60 or 70 years, uh, you see population control entities very much at play attempting to minimize African-American races and people groups and other minorities. Mm -hmm. And you see males who want to sleep with whoever they want to, whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. Now, after 50 years of that, it's become sanitized and we have all sorts of fancy terms and words to describe it. But at the end of the day, until our culture recognizes human sexuality in marriage only and respects each other as being dignified humans, simply because we are human and no other reason, we're going to continue to, to fight this culture of death. The, mm-hmm. the irony is that the most dignified, honoring, respectful worldview on the planet is Christianity. And for those folks that embrace the culture of death, they're missing out on the greatest joy and peace and, and blessing that you could imagine in the Christian faith. You know, Brian, as I'm listening to you talk about this, it really sounds like to me that in addition to um, an education campaign, you know, informing women and trying to implore women to not only value their bodies, but value the bodies of their babies. It seems that there needs to be discipleship happening among the people who fear God, who have been found in Jesus Christ, having had their sins forgiven. I mean, when the way you're communicating this, I I think that we have to be honest that there are Christians who, too, have kind of disconnected themselves from these two leading causes or what gave rise to abortion and the, the expansion of it in this country. Well, you probably just got me on a soapbox from which I won't escape, but I would argue that um, the the pro-life worldview is a uniquely Christian worldview. You can be pro-life and not be Christian, but ultimately the apologetics fall apart. Therefore, mm-hmm. the only people group on the planet that has the justification and the desire to end abortion is the Church. And yet, despite the fact that abortion worldwide is the leading cause of death worldwide and the greatest injustice in human history, you are hard-pressed to find a church, a denomination of any stripe or size that regularly sees itself 
has a sense of justice as the purveyors of God's kingdom to come down and to rescue and preserve. Proverbs 24, mm-hmm. 11, and 12 says, Deliver those being taken away to death and those staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. But if you were to talk to the average American Christian, they probably haven't heard about abortion or genocide or pro-life in their church in the last 12 months. Maybe on one Sunday in January, probably not. But by and large, the modern American church does not see itself as a discipler or an educator on what is the greatest moral atrocity in human history. And so I have argued from pulpits and radio stations and TV stations for years that we can sit on one hand and complain about abortion slaughtering 3,000 children a day. On the other hand, we have to look in the mirror and Mm -hmm. say, well, who is it exactly that's going to end it? Is it going to be the government? It's going to be the church. Mm. You Look, there's no (laughs) argument that's going to come from us on this end, okay? We are 100% on the same page. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's a little bit exciting to hear this conversation because ongoingly, mm-hmm. this is not the conversation that we hear here. And I'm sure you're aware of that else. You wouldn't have said what you just said. So often the conversation is what do we need to get those people to see? What mm. do we need to get those people to do when, when we're honest with ourselves, we have to say, hold on a second. There are women in our fellowships. There are women in our churches who find themselves in desperate situations and then realize, maybe after the fact, that they actually don't have a biblical worldview, that their view of God and life is one of convenience. And this culture has beaten them down, and then when the church doesn't show up, there is no defense there. My, my primary conversation when I'm sitting down with a pastor or a priest talking about this issue is, do you agree biblically that the child in the womb has the exact same value as the mother. Can we agree that a preborn child in the eyes of God has the same value? And, and inevitably, that, that person will say yes. Then when I ask the follow-up question, then help me understand, if our country was slaughtering 3,000 kindergartners a day for some reason, 3,000 five-year-olds, would the Church respond differently mm. to the slaughter of those children than to the slaughter of 3,000 preborn children mm. a day? And inevitably, the answer is a, is a deafening silence, because every church in America, as we all know, would respond very differently if we were slaughtering five-year-olds. Mm. Well, to the Christian, we don't have the right to make the difference between those two human beings. Come on, Brian. And so this is where I challenge pastors to say, if this is not a plank, a primary issue for you, we are simply unbiblical. We cannot be praying for revival and spiritual renewal when at the same time, abortion is about the same rate inside the Church as it is outside, and the Church has to be the voice for the vulnerable, the mom, the child, the family, but at the end of the day, for the entire culture, because a culture that kills its own children is not going to survive long term. Mm. Brian, you are (laughs) preaching. I don't know if this is because of your contact with our friend, Bishop Vincent Matthews. I know he is on the advisory board um, for Human (laughs) Coalition, but uh, you could preach that message in any church, and we all need to hear it. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for the work of your organization. Let our listeners know quickly as we go to the break here how they can connect and learn more about Human Coalition. Uh, we'd love to connect. Just go to humancoalition.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash humancoalition. 
Brian Fisher, everybody. Brian Fisher. Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We're going to grab this break, and uh, we'll be right back. fire like let's just have a conversation Man. you know if we're no. gonna talk about it remember when, when mariah was three she said if we're gonna talk about it let's just talk about it let's yeah. if we're if we're gonna have a conversation about what is happening in our country and we say this all the time i think people probably are just like you know they're like oh there they go again but the church has to take responsibility we are Man. tasked with being salt and light look that question you know if three thousand five-year-olds were being oh, slaughtered man come on man if man would that be a a cause for action for you personally as a Christian and for Yikes. your church, you know? Yikes. Man, Yikes. That's, that question, because a lot of times, you know, there are people who, even in the church, would try to say, oh, we're going to stay away from that because mm-hmm. that's a political issue. That, on, that's not something that we, you know, that's a, that's bringing politics into the church. But, man, when you see this for what it is, it's a, it's a moral issue. It's an issue that the church should be concerned about. So when that question is posed to you as a Christian, you know, about the value of life, whether it's in the womb or, it's, you know, the person's five years old. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. are that they valuable? That makes it real. Yeah. That makes it real. And, and I think if we are honest, when we hear that question, I think for many of us, we have not put these preborn children in the same category. We have not given right. them the same humanity that we give a five-year-old. So even though we say we are pro-life, the way we think causes us to function like we're pro-choice liberals. Like like we think, well, you know, I mean, who gets to determine when life starts and when it doesn't and who gets to decide? And we may not say those things. And in fact, we would probably say that those things are ludicrous, but we function with that kind of conviction. Right. And so it leaves us almost incapacitated, like we're just not doing. I'll tell you what this falls into the category of. Um, back in March, um, George, George Barna, who is um, the research director for a newly established cultural research center um, coming out of Arizona Christian University, they did some research on uh, biblical worldview. Now, we talk about this all the time. Right? We talk about this all the time, yeah. biblical worldview. Yeah. And the information that came out of that survey was that only 6% of Americans possess a biblical worldview. Now, of course, Americans, that's not a synonym for Christians. Mm-hmm. I'll right. rewind and say it again. <laughs> Americans, that's not a synonym for Christian. You're not a Christian just because you're born in America or because you immigrate here. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand what we're talking about. But it's alarming that just 25 years ago, um, that percentage would have been at 12 percent of Americans who had a biblical worldview, who would have aligned their conviction with what the Bible says. Now, I'll tell you what I'm I'm more interested in. I'm more interested in Christians having a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and profess that, say that they know him personally. I'm more interested in what they think about the authority of the scriptures, because this fuels how we engage. Right. And this is why we say this all the time. It's, it is not just, um, you know, 
what is my political view about mm -hmm. this? Because you know the enemy, if he wants to cripple Christian engagement, um, one of the lies that he could dangle in front of you is that, oh, that's become a political matter. We mm -hmm. don't get involved in that. We mm -hmm. just need to preach the gospel. Well, hold on a second. Just because something is put in the category of being political doesn't mean it stops being a question of morality. Right. Are we or are we not talking about the taking of innocent life, the shedding of innocent blood? Does the Lord not hate this? Absolutely, he does. Are we not compelled to stand in the gap to plead the case of those who are innocently being led to slaughter? Yes, we are. But I think so often the disconnect is that we don't have this biblical worldview that we often say we have. Uh, according to this survey that was out in March, and I've had this in front of me for a while, I think I alluded to it maybe once or twice, but according to this survey, approximately one-fifth of those one fifth of those who attend evangelical Protestant churches espouse a biblical worldview. One fifth of those who attend evangelical Protestant churches espouse a biblical worldview. One fifth. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want yeah, I'm going to no, keep saying say it, it until all of the gears click in. All right. One fifth of those who attend evangelical Protestant churches espouse a biblical worldview, which to me says every single Sunday or whenever it is that you gather, you're, it's only for entertainment. So let me ask you this. When we say biblical worldview, um, some people may be actually may be confused. Like they may feel like, well, I believe the Bible is true, but what is a biblical worldview? Like what's the difference? That's a great question. Let me tell you what George Barna pointed out. And I think he makes a great point. I'm going to quote him here because I think in his quote is the answer to your question. He says this quote, if you truly believe something, mm -hmm. you integrate it into how you live mm -hmm. and your lifestyle reflects those mm -hmm. beliefs. Bingo. As a result, our worldview research always balances examining both what we believe to be true with how we translate such beliefs into action. Yes. So a biblical worldview is not just like, oh, yeah, I think the Bible is true. Mm -hmm. Oh, I believe the yeah, Bible believe is true. true. Mm -hmm. A biblical worldview means you live it. Come on. It means you live it. <laughs> and that's quite different from what we're seeing here in the United mm -hmm. States of America. There are many people who will say, I believe the Bible is true. That's the good book. Well, don't say anything bad about the word, but you don't live it. And if you don't live what you say is true, you're inconsistent or crazy. Hmm. I mean, that's crazy. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think to be fair, most people are just inconsistent, which I'm, well, I'm going to tell you again. Yeah, that's what we're trying to provoke. We're trying to provoke people to a consistent lifestyle. Go ahead, Will. No, I was going to say that's good because you know we constantly talk about biblical worldview, and I think some people may need the definition that you just gave. And it's you know simply put, like you said, it is living, not just you know uh, uh, adhering and saying like, okay, it's good, it's a good book, the good the good book, you know, but <laughs> living by it, you know, living by it, and that's different. A biblical worldview means that the way you engage the way you live it's not just your commentary on an issue but it's how you live with regards to that issue that it's filtered through what the word of god says Amen. that's point blank period i mean that's let me give the number we can queue up some calls people want to talk to us about anything we're talking about today 888-589-8840 888-589-8840 you can call sherry b we appreciate her she's over in studio cc she's going to mm -hmm. get your calls queued up but I think point blank is what we do with what we say we believe. Yeah. And that's where the disconnect comes in. And I don't think, I'm going to say this, Well, I don't think that people intentionally 
want to be disconnected from their views, but I think we haven't been taught how to live it out. Mm -hmm. We in the body of Christ call this discipleship. Right. We call this discipleship. And let me tell you something. If there's no need for us to learn how we live now that we're in Christ, probably we could get rid of two thirds of the New Testament. Hmm. Because so much of that is spent telling you, okay, now that you're in Christ, here is how you live. Mm -hmm. Now that you're in Christ, this is how things are different. This is how your life is supposed to look. And and I know there's some people like, well, that should just come naturally. Well, you know what? It doesn't. Because if it did, then the Corinthians could have just gotten on exceptionally well. And as we know, according to the scriptures, they didn't. Mm. If these things just came naturally to us, then the Galatians wouldn't have been duped. Then the Ephesians wouldn't have been told, hey, don't live like the Ephesians that are not Christians. Then the Thessalonians wouldn't have been deceived. Some of them believing that the rapture had already happened. They're being troubled. No, these are things that have to be taught. And we have all of this text that teaches us how we're supposed to live now as Christians. How are we supposed to live Mm -hmm. now as Christians? So what I'm saying is this. When it all boils down to the discussions that continue to happen in our country, you know, what we think about the expansion of government, what we think about um, ever increasing government, what we think about human life, as we just heard from our brother Brian Fisher, right? All of this has got to be filtered through a biblical lens. It Mm -hmm. is not just taking a cultural position, right? Um, Do we not have enough history to point to the rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of governments Mm -hmm. and that determining how people think about issues, but what's eternal? Or better, better asked, who is eternal? Yeah. The Lord God. Amen. And he's shown us what he requires of us. I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but you you see what I'm saying? Here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the thing, you know, going back to the biblical worldview aspect, you know, like we, we it says so much. It says so much. And and that actuality of it, we should be getting that even in our churches. And I, I won't relegate to churches in our homes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's something yes. that as Christians that we should be able to train up our children because what's happening is they grow up, you know, they may go to church, they may hear this, hear that, but it's never been solidified. So when they go off, if they go off to college, it's easily uprooted, you know? Yeah. And so the biblical worldview is, is, yeah, we should be getting some of that at church, you know, but man, the main place for that to happen is at home, you know, living that out in front of our kids and also being able to teach it you know, to our kids. Let me also point to this. Um, I don't know where we are with phone calls. I don't know if anything is happening. I'm not ignoring anybody. If you're calling, I'm not ignoring you. I just don't know what's going on. So in the meantime, the though, because I, time. okay, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. I only say that because I get a lot of flack over the whole phone call thing. <laughs> All right. Like I got other stuff I want to talk about, but I did give the number. I just want to say that. Um, There was a response to the post that I made about us being very careful when the government wants to give you stuff, just being very careful about that, right? Um, And what I want to say is that what people need, because I understand that people have lost their jobs, but I think what people need is more information like what's coming out from, and I know people are going to bristle when I say this, but CNN Business released this huge report of all of these various industries that are hiring now. And this is very encouraging. I feel like this is more of the information that we actually need. This is more of the information that we actually need. So um, companies like Instacart, 
Pizza Hut, mm-hmm. 7-Eleven. Again, I'm going to put a link to this in the, in the show notes because if you are one of those people that you're saying, well, I don't understand why the government shouldn't be forced to help. Um, you know, I would say the help that Americans need um, really is to be able to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that sounds like, you know, it's it's to be able to get back to work and and whether we understand that or not. And I hope that I've spent, you know, a reasonable amount of time making a case for that. But that's what Americans need. And if that dies, if that will to work, that desire to work, that feeling of, um, you know, God has uniquely built me to be able to provide for my family and to glorify him in the earth. If that somehow leaves the way that we think, um, look, I don't care what your party affiliation is. We're mm-hmm. not coming back from that. Right. We're not coming right. back from that. All right. Um, let's go to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. Will the Great. Where do we go? Let's go to Paul in Texas. Hi, Paul. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, you know, I, uh, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate it. And I <laughs> seems you. like I always uh, almost get in right before you guys are going off. But uh, I want to talk about some real dirt. You ready? <laughs> go <Okay>. ahead. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. We need to be growing gardens. Mm. We need to be growing gardens. In, in the state of Texas, Texas, Texas A&M, all through uh, Master Gardeners, there's plenty of information. There's, there's even funds that will help people like a 4-H club, FFA, and mm-hmm. many organizations uh, get out and help people grow gardens. Mm. This is huge. This is huge. I agree I just, with you, uh, Paul. No, I just want to say I agree with Paul. And, you know, that's something that I've thought about. We attempted to do that. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> And I just, man, I, that really does take a lot of attention. You really have to be, but Paul is making a great yeah, point. And, a great and can point. I just say, I appreciate what he wants to talk dirt. I got it. <laughs> I got what you're doing there. That was All right. Good. No, I agree with you, Paul. I think we do need to be growing gardens and I think we do need more food independence. I agree yes, with that. 100%. 100%. Yes. Will the great, let's try to squeeze in one, one more call. Tony from Mississippi. Hi, Tony. Hey, how are y'all doing today? Doing good. Hello. That's good. Yeah. I just, y'all were talking about, living in the New Testament, the Old Testament a little bit ago. And my, me and my wife were having a discussion, and she was talking about how she believes some of this and she doesn't believe it, some of that. And I was like, well, you have to either believe all of it or you might as well not believe any of it. It's either all or nothing. You can't just be partially in it. Mm. I mean, it Yeah, no, amen. absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah, Tony. Absolutely. Now, look, I don't want to pile on on your wife here. OK, so <laughs> I, I wish you to just said I have a friend who said, uh, no, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul quotes from the Old Testament. Peter quotes from the Old Testament. You have to take the whole role. You have to take all of it. Um, Peter says that everything that was written aforetime was written for our learning, mm-hmm. um, that the scripture never had its root in the design of men, Peter writes, yeah. um, but that men wrote as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. And so that includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. None of that can be dissected. In fact, you've got one, you know, not to be super spiritual or cutesy here, but you've got one red cord that runs from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I mean, you know, Jesus doesn't just, oh man, this is going to get into somebody's theology, but Jesus doesn't just show up on in the New Testament. <laughs> right. Remember, he is the eternally existent one. Right. In the Old Testament, we called his appearance theophanies. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Where and, and that happened. So what I'm saying is, You've got to take the whole role. Like, you don't, 
you know, and I, you know, maybe I'm not understanding everything that our brother Tony is communicating, but we do ourselves a disservice when we, because it, it almost sounds like a popular preacher who recently said we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. May it never be so. We need all of it. All of that is the inspired word of God. All right. Um, we're out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.